0: the Lord will not, notice the emphatic strength of that, the Lord will not reckon sin, that singular all encompassing word, sin against us. It's not just past, it's not just present, it's not just future, it's the whole thing. He won't reckon it against us.
1: On what basis can God promise never to count our sins against us. The answer is God's work of justification. In this episode of Light and Truth, John Piper expounds from Romans 3:21 to chapter four, verse eight, the glorious truth of our justification. This sermon was originally preached at Bethlehem Baptist Church on March 22, 1992.
0: Remember, I have stressed that my deep desire for us is that we get our eyes pretty much off of our subjective experiences. And I mean the very most positive subjective experience, faith in Jesus Christ. I want us this morning and every morning to set our eyes on what God did outside of us. I remember the first time in seminary when... Oh, I wish I could remember his name. Uh, It just slips me right now because this isn't in my notes. Uh, I remember the first time my preaching professor stood up and used the Latin phrase extra nos, outside of us, and just drove it home that salvation was accomplished outside of us, outside of us, outside of us. And that was such a revolutionary thought to me that something happened outside of me. In history, objective, finished, worked out, done by God and His Son, that was decisive for me before I was involved in it. By any subjective response at all. That's what we've been talking about. Getting our eyes outside. Now what is this transaction called justification outside of me, by which something happens for me that has eternal implications for my life? And I have four observations to make about what is happening in this great truth of justification. And I want to pray with you before I go on, because I'm so keenly aware that some of these things are very familiar. And yet they're glorious. It's like saying air is familiar, so it's no big deal, right? Or water or food is familiar, so it's not important. The, The most precious things in life are the most... Familiar things. Let's pray. Lord, if if you don't come, there'll just be a jangle of words here. Ideals will be stimulated. Some people be interested, some won't. But if you come, God, if you would draw near, if your Holy Spirit would come upon this congregation. The truth of justification of the ungodly Through faith would transform many lives It is a glorious thing And I pray that the glory of it would be manifest By your spirit through your word In Jesus name Amen Number one Being justified means being forgiven for all our sins Let's look at Romans 4 and Verses 5 to 8 I'm going to jump ahead here From the text that was read For a minute Romans 4 verse 5 Paul is unpacking The truth of justification And he uses the Old Testament Psalm 32 To show that at the heart of it Is forgiveness Verse 5 To one who does not work That is who does not Try to get himself right With God through works To one who does not work But trusts That's the issue Trusts him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is reckoned as righteousness. So also, now here he he says, David says the same thing way back a long time ago. So also David pronounces a blessing upon the man whom God reckons righteous apart from works. Namely, and now he quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven. That's the word I'm I'm latching on to right now. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not reckon his sin. Now we're right at the heart of justification here with those three glorious precious phrases. I hope I hope that you can take each of those three phrases taken from Psalm 32 and say them for yourself with deep conviction in the first person singular. Namely, iniquities are forgiven, sins are covered, the Lord does not reckon sin against us. Those three things. Iniquities are forgiven. Sins are covered. The Lord does not reckon. So put it put it in these words. Can you for yourself? My sins are forgiven. My iniquities are covered. The Lord will never, not now or ever, Hold against me my sin. If you could say those three things over and over again to yourself with deep faith in God, you would become a valiant warrior for God. You would become a strong, strong person. Now notice... There's no limitation put on this forgiveness here as to the nature or the the kind or the timing of sins. It's not as though, as some have said, well, it's past sins that are forgiven. It doesn't say that, nor does it say only one particular brand of sin, nor any particular quantity of sins. It says, especially in that last phrase of verse eight. The Lord will not, notice the emphatic strength of that, the Lord will not reckon sin, that singular, all-encompassing word, sin against us. It's not just past, it's not just present, it's not just future, it's the whole thing. He won't reckon it against us. We'll come back to that. How can He do this? Look at verse 24 now, back in our text, chapter 3. On what basis could he possibly just pass over, blot out, not reckon all the sins that his people ever commit? It says in verse 24 that we are justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now there's the answer to how you can do it. It is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What does that word redemption mean? Redemption means a loosing or freeing or releasing. And so the the essence of the matter is, there was, when Jesus died, a freeing from the guilt and power of sin in your life. There was a a releasing that happened. Now, how did that happen? Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And so the curse that was resting on you that held you in bondage that locked you up in hopelessness and condemnation was taken and put on Christ and lifted off of you. Or 1 Peter 3 or 2:24 it says Christ bore our sins in his body. And so redemption means that the sin that weighed down on us bringing us to condemnation and execution and bondage was put on Jesus. And Isaiah 53 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of it. All of it. And of all of us in Christ. Justification, the forgiveness of sins, comes through a redemption, which means a releasing through the substitution of Jesus for us, so that he bears our curse, He bears our sin. He bears our guilt. He bears our condemnation. And in bearing all of that, we are free from it. Released. It is a glorious, glorious truth that forgiveness of sin, all sin, comes through the death of Jesus. Now mark this. I want to add one other thing, which is to me perhaps the most glorious angle on it of all. Christ only suffered once for all. Now, that is tremendously important. Christ suffered once. His suffering and death is never in any way effectually reenacted in the Lord's Supper or in the Mass. He died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Now I want you to get this because picture this it's the once for allness in history outside of us, objectively, that guarantees that all of our sin is covered, past, present, and future. If it were such that the death of Christ were a kind of parable that we reenact week by week or month by month, then indeed we would have no security that all my sin is gone, is taken care of. But if it's true, as Hebrews 9.26 says, Christ appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, then it's over. It's over. The sin that I will commit on Monday morning, tomorrow morning, was put away 2,000 years ago. Finished. Over. That sin is over. It's gone. It will not be held against me. Now, if that doesn't grip you as the most glorious news in all the world, I can't imagine what would be good news. That all the sins that I have committed will commit, perhaps even while I'm preaching by some attitude of mine, or tomorrow will not be held against me. Why? Because at the end of the age, Christ appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Or here's another statement of it in Hebrews 9, 12. He entered once for all into the holy place, taking not the blood of goats and calves. That's why it had to be done over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Taking not the blood of goats and calves, but His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Once for all at Calvary during three hours of suffering it was finished so that all the sins past, present and future are covered he will not hold against us any of our sins anymore it's a glorious thing this connection between the once for allness of his death and the totality of Of our forgiveness Number two Being justified means Being reckoned righteous With God's righteousness Or God's righteousness being counted As ours In other words We we have really This is two sides of one coin I, I know this what I've just said in point one about the forgiveness of sins is one side of the coin. Our sins are taken away, all of them, once for all, when Jesus died for those sins decisively. And then you turn, you turn that coin over and something positive, that's kind of a negative thing, get rid of sin. And positively, the same truth is asserted by the righteousness of God is given to sinners. It is counted to sinners. Let's go to verses twenty. 21 and 22 in our text The ones that Tim read In Romans 3 Verses 21 and 22 Just before verse 21 Paul had said the devastating word No human will ever be justified By works of the law You will never get right with God By your works You will never have a righteousness That suffices with God By virtue of your works It's over There is no way to heaven by works. Then he gives the positive alternative in verses 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God of God has been manifested apart from law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith. On the way from where to where through faith. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In other words, it's coming through faith to you. The righteousness is God's righteousness. It's His. It's perfect. It's holy. It's utterly unimpeachable. It's all we would ever need. And now it is on the way, not through works, as though you could somehow imitate it or earn it, but through faith as a gift to, to rest upon you and clothe you and be there for you, covering you. So not only are our sins totally done away with, but the righteousness of God is given to us as a free gift. Let me read for you 2 Corinthians 5.21, the most breathtaking statement, I think, in all of the new testament about the imputation or the reckoning or the counting or the ascribing of God's righteousness to us this verse is an awesome verse and you should pray even as we read it that God would open your heart to receive it and feel appropriate affections that correspond with its worth
1: second corinthians
0: 5:21 for our sake God made him That is Christ. God made Christ to be sin. God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a magnificent exchange. Jesus never sinned. He knew no sin. He was perfectly righteous. He upheld the glory of God in every feeling that he felt and every uh, emotion that he had, every decision he made, every act he did. He upheld the glory of God. And you and I sin every day. We blackball God day and night. We give Him a vote of no confidence. Thank you. As we go our own way every day of our lives. And God says to this perfect son of the living God, I am will take their sin and make you sin. And I will take my righteousness, which you have so gloriously upheld in your sacrifice, and give it away from you to them. Now that is the gospel. Jesus was not made a sinner. It doesn't say sinner. Sinner. He was made sin, meaning God looked upon Him as our sin. God reckoned our sin to be His. God treated Him as though He were a sinner and poured out His wrath upon Him and all of the punishment that was owing to our unrighteousness fell upon Jesus. And then, in the same kind of reckoning way, He took the righteousness of God that was so vindicated there and He applied it to sinners like us. Through faith, He applied it to us. And he treats us as though it were our righteousness. This was an alien sin that brought him to death. And this is an alien righteousness that brings us to life. I stress that word alien because I want to make something very clear here. This text and what I'm saying right now does not mean that in justification you are made a good person. It does not mean you are made a good person. Something is happening outside of you by which your sins are forgiven and God's righteousness is imparted to you before you even begin to become a good person. Justification is an external transaction in which we hope and which we link up to by casting our ungodly selves on Christ by faith and and hold to Him that the, the ungodly will be justified. The only sin that you can overcome in daily life is a forgiven sin. Now, that's another way of saying justification is the foundation of sanctification. If you reverse it and say, well, in order to get righteous, in order to be accepted, in order to be forgiven, in order to have the gift of righteousness, I must overcome a sin so that it would then be forgotten by God or forgiven by God or put away by God. And you reverse those two, you're in the grip of legalism and will never make it to heaven. The only sin that you can make headway in conquering by the power of God is a forgiven sin. So if you have a bad habit, what I'm telling you this morning is the only gospel headway the only evangelical headway and I'm distinguishing gospel and evangelical from legal and legalistic you can make some legal headway against a bad habit but you know what you produce in its place? Pharisees the only sins that you can make gospel headway against are forgiven sins That is, you have to walk out of here at the end of this service believing what I have just been teaching is yours. Namely, that when Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, every sin, every bad habit, every execution of that bad habit was covered in Jesus. He's gone. Then, and on that foundation alone, will you be able to make headway in actually overcoming it. Don't get them reversed. Number three, these last two are very brief. Being justified means being loved by God and treated with grace. Being loved by God and treated with grace. Look at Romans 5, 6 to 8. While we were yet weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man one might even dare to die, but... God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The death of Christ to forgive your sins and to give you the gift of righteousness came from the love of God for you. If God didn't love you, there would have been no problem to solve in the cross. Because if he didn't love you, he could have handled the sin problem without any offense to his son whatsoever. He would have just condemned us all to hell. And that would have settled it perfectly. He would have been righteous and all accounts would have been settled. There would have been no need for the cross. There would have been no problem to solve whatsoever. Except for the love of God. It's the fact that God loves you that created a problem for God. That he out of love would pass over sin created a problem for righteousness and his love for his glory. And it's the cross that brings the love of God for sinners and the love of God for the glory that they scorned into perfect harmony. Because Jesus vindicated that glory while saving sinners. You are loved in the act of justification. Finally, Justification means being secured by God forever. Turn with me to chapter 8 for one last look. Chapter 8, verse 30. It means being secured by God forever and ever. It says, verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he justified, called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If you're justified this morning, you will be glorified. Nobody falls out between those last two phrases of verse 30 in Romans 8. Those whom he justified, he glorified. You will make it to glory if you have made it into justification. If justification is yours by simply receiving it through faith, you will be glorified. Now, how can that be? It's because the death of Jesus and its effect on his people is objective, decisive, definitive, and invincible. What God achieved when Christ died was the justification of all his people and the securing of their everlasting glorification. Let me show you that. In verse 32 of this text, Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not? It's a rhetorical question and you know what the answer is. Surely he will give us all things with him. That means if he did not spare his son, but sent him that you might be justified, you most definitely will be glorified. It is not as though the cross achieves half a salvation for the people of God and then watches them drop into destruction saying, oh, I guess the cross wasn't really strong enough to achieve all that it was designed to achieve by the Father for His elect. What God did at the cross is of infinite power and value. It will never lose any for whom it was designed to achieve everlasting salvation. And I just pray earnestly that God would now grant as we close that your heart would leap out for this gift. You are forgiven. You have the gift of righteousness. You are loved by God in justification through Christ. Just take it.
1: This is Light and Truth, God-centered preaching to help you see Christ clearly and treasure Him truly. I'm your host, Dan Kruver. Thank you for listening. On our next episode, John Piper continues our series on the Christian's Assurance. I hope you'll join us. For more resources, visit DesiringGod.org.